Hey, Sarasota, it's Bob. So it's been a wonderful grind over the past 18 months. We've had some fabulous guests. We've produced over 150 episodes. and We've had over 10,000 listens from you wonderful folks in the greater Sarasota area. It's been a lot of fun, but also it's been a lot of work. And so we've decided to take a little bit of a break until this fall. When you check out other podcasts, you're going to see that most put out a new episode only once a week. We put out two, so of course that means there's twice the work. A lot of show notes, scheduling, guests, editing, etc., etc., etc. So we've decided to take a little break for the rest of the summer and we will resume this fall. And we'll let you know. But before I sign off, can you do me a little favor? Reach out to us via Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Drop us a little note. I'd like to know more about what you want to hear when we resume in the next couple of weeks. That'd be a big help because without you, dear listener, we would not exist. As always, thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful summer, and we'll be back soon where you can listen, learn, and connect. Today, we're pulling one of our favorite episodes from the archives because we believe some stories need to be heard more than once. Enjoy. Business guru John Maxwell once said everything rises and falls on leadership. So it's safe to say a major reason why Sarasota Memorial Healthcare Systems keeps rising is its incredible leader who was recently and severely tested via a wide world pandemic in the Cat 4 hurricane. Hi, I'm your host, Bob Williams, where I try to find the most interesting people doing the most fascinating work right here in the greater Sarasota area. I started this podcast because I believe if you really want to understand the DNA of any community, then listening to each other's stories is an absolute must. So every Tuesday and Thursday, you'll hear from neighbors of yours running businesses, writing books, leading our local government, starting new projects, and impacting our town in positive ways. I'm very pleased to welcome today David Verinder, CEO of Sarasota Memorial Healthcare Systems. In today's episode, you'll learn one thing most people don't know about David, why he chose a career in healthcare administration, how incredibly difficult it was for him to lead a 9,000-employee healthcare organization during COVID, what David learned from Hurricane Irma that prepared him and his team for Hurricane Ian, and much, much more. Thank you for stopping by today. It's my hope that you will listen, that you will learn, but most importantly, connect. David Verinder, CEO at Sarasota Memorial Healthcare Systems. Welcome to the Sarasota Stories Podcast. Thanks, Bob. It's great to be here today. I think I appreciate the, the opportunity. It is a pleasure to have you on. And one of the things I've been doing on this podcast is having organizations that have been on the forefront of dealing with Hurricane Ian, since that's still very uh, front and center of our minds here, particularly in South County, Sarasota. And if anybody's been on the front lines, it's been you all. And uh, we want to get into that. And certainly we want to get into our all-time favorite topic, which is COVID-19. And I say that, you know, with tongue in cheek, because I think we're getting sick of it. But I just couldn't let you go until we get into that. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit for our listeners. But before we do that, it's, I always love to start off with my favorite question, which is, what is one thing that most people don't know about David? Well, uh, uh, I'm not sure, Bob, what, what people wouldn't know about me. I, I think that I'm a fairly open book, but 
just just to real briefly, I I, I'm, I came from uh, Southern Louisiana is where I'm I'm from, uh, and maybe one of the things that people don't know about me is I, I'm a I was a big uh, supporter of uh, the Boy Scouts. I'm an Eagle Scout and uh, currently serve on the board of Southwest Florida's um, uh, Boy Scout Council. It's a I, I, I have. I have daughters who who aren't in scouting whatsoever, and it's uh, always gives me a, an ability to kind of connect back and give back to to something that I think was very influential in my life, and and um and really enjoy the opportunity to be able to do that. That's very cool. I never joined the Boy Scouts, but the folks that I have talked to over the years say the very same thing that you do. It was very influential in teaching them certain skills and uh, attitudes that have really served them well throughout their career. So that's very cool. Well, so you have been in the healthcare administration's industry for many years. Uh, you're from Louisiana, and then you have a, a very interesting career. You worked in California and Texas at different hospitals, and then you came to Sarasota, what was it, back in 2009? Is that correct? I actually came, we came in 2006. 2006, and then you came to Sarasota Memorial. So, so tell us about what is it that appealed to you about healthcare administration? Well, I I always call it my second career. Uh, my my first thing I did out of college, I, I'm a CPA by background, and I worked in a CPA firm. I kind of worked myself up in in a smaller firm in in Southern Louisiana and Baton Rouge. I didn't set out originally to go into healthcare. It just kind of found me. My practice had developed into probably eighty percent of my practice had developed into being healthcare, mainly physicians. Uh, and um, at one point, I had that moment in my my career where I decided, do I want to do this for the rest of my life, or do I want to go in and work in 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 the, in the healthcare industry? And I had an opportunity to go be a CFO at a at one, at a, one of my clients, which was a smaller hospital in, in Baton Rouge, and. Uh, Wow, it was just it was life changing for me, and I found, I'm one of the lucky people in the world that I was able to find my passion. That's very cool. It's it's not an uncommon story. I have a good friend by the name of Jack Kidd. He's he's long retired from the banking industry, but he was a CPA in the Cincinnati area for a firm there, and he started working for some of the banks. And the next thing you know, he and a group ended up buying a bank, and then they did a roll up, and then they took it to uh, the Nasdaq, and so he was very very successful at that. How so? Then, from a CPA's perspective, how is the healthcare different from maybe some of the other clients that you worked on? What, what are the nuances, and uh, you know, how are the numbers different? Well, the, you know, numbers are numbers, and and you have a balance sheet, and have a P and L, and all that type of thing. But the the underlying business is very unique. Uh, you have a lot of dis different constituents you you know you have you have obviously you work with nurses and doctors and radiation techs and and all kinds of it's like a small city uh here but in addition to that you serve a community and and so the community um and and what what their needs are is very much part of your dna and what you end up having to do what I learned over over many years is that that that's as, as important if not as 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 that's as important, if not more important, than the entire uh, running of, of a healthcare system. But you also end up having a statewide and a national wide presence in how and and what you do and what goes on in other parts of the country or other parts of the state have a direct impact on on what happens to you here as well. So there's there's a lot of competing interests uh, that go into 
uh, running a successful uh, healthcare system. That's interesting. Talk, talk about some of the regional and national, I don't know, collaborations or how you guys share in the industry because, you know, there's records, people travel, um, you know, for patients, but there's also administrative stuff that you all share. So give us a kind of a, a broader perspective of the, you know, the footprint that you guys have to lay with some of the other hospitals in, in the region. So what does that look like? If you look at it, if you look at it from a region standpoint, we really have two um, two organizations that that, that kind of run statewide advocacy. And one would be the Florida Hospital Association, and the other would be the Safety Net Hospital Association. Uh, we're members of both. Um, I've been on the boards of both, and I've been the, the chair of um, the Safety Net Hospital Association for a number of years. Um, it really what that enables you to do is to get to know your colleagues um, and really be able to talk with people about what goes on in your area and how how laws or, or circumstances or, or how do you respond to, say, a COVID um, crisis or a hurricane crisis. You, you have a group of people who are all go through the same things and you can run ideas through and talk to and, and, and make sure you're doing the best that you can do for and with the best practices uh, for your community and your patients. You know, you when you came with Sarasota Memorial, at least at the C-suite, you were chief financial officer. Then you became chief operating officer. And now, of course, you're you're a CEO. So you're at the top. What would most people what could what is it that most people could not know unless they're in your seat and how you kind of view things from your perspective. And, and the reason I ask that question is my, my father was a successful businessman over a 1200 organization manufacturing firm. And he said the day that he became CEO, he said, you looked at things differently then. What was it like for you? Well, yeah, I think that's, I think that's actually very well put. Um, and you don't really know that until that day when, when you, when you get offered that job, I will tell you, I remember it very well. You know, as CFO and, and, and COO, I always did the best I could. And, and I, I, my, my boss at the time was, was a lady named Gwen McKenzie, who's a great, great person. And, um, but I always knew, you know, whatever ideas I had or, or suggestions I had or whatever else, you know, she always had the, she always had the final say over, over what was right. going on. And so somewhat of that is a safety net. Right. You, you don't have to be the guy who's 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 got the final say. And in that case, she was she was she was the person that that, that was going to, you know, had to had to take whatever I said and determine whether that was good or bad. And I kind of remember, you know, eight, it's been eight and a half years ago or so now when I became CEO. I remember think I never thought about that until that day when I became that. I was like, oh, I don't have a safety net behind me or above <laughs> me anymore that can, that, that, that's going to that's going to stop me from doing kind of some some little crazy. So I have to I, I have to be acting a little bit more um, um, holistically and broadly and and taking a whole lot more uh, thoughts. But but also, I mean, you have a board and you have other very very skilled. Um, executives around you and you have a collaborative relationship where you have to make decisions. So I'm sure that's really more of the safety net right there. It absolutely is. But it's everybody has a different style of managing right. is is to build a great team around us, which we have a great team around us. Uh and and really to, to step back and not make uh, quick decisions to make sure that you that you hear all opinions because everybody's got a very different 
uh, bias or a different set of experiences sure. when you're doing that. Uh, and and it's it's honestly the reason why we're successful is because uh, we hear from our nurses, we hear from our physicians, we hear from our housekeepers and and, and food service workers, and 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 none of it works in silo. It all works as a, a collaborative group. You mentioned a little bit earlier COVID, and. It's interesting. We tried to get you on a little bit earlier in the year, and I think that's when Ian hit. So we got we got two big ones to discuss here, of course, COVID and Ian. And I almost thought, you know, I really just should let David go and uh, not even do the interview because after a CEO leads a, I don't know what you have, 6,000 employees working for you, again, working for the hospital, and then you got volunteers and you've, you've gone through these two big, big um, things, you know, in the greater Sarasota community, you know, like this guy needs to take like a, a vacation for a month and go on a, a cruise. You know, why does he want to do a podcast? But I am curious about when, you know, take, kind of take us through the steps that you went through when you realized that COVID was going to be a big thing and impact Sarasota Memorial in a big way. Yeah, I, so so you remember that's going back about two years, uh, two and a half years ago, really. Right. Uh, if my math is right, and if so, what March of two thousand twenty? And um, I, I'll I'll tell you, you know, we we've saw the same things everybody else did. You hear the news stories, you, you're not sure. Hey, is this going to be a real thing, or is this going to be you know something that just kind of comes and goes? Um, hits a hits a few places hard, and then it goes away. Nobody knew. Okay. Um, nobody knew. And, and it unfortunately came into the United States, uh, came into Florida and hit hard and hit fast. Um, you know, uh, uh, everyone, you know, everything locked down pretty quickly. Um, and we were no exception to that. So we were trying, we were making day to day decisions on what do we do? Do we, do we cancel surgeries? Do we, do we shut down our outpatient facilities? Do we, do we, yeah. How do we respond to this? There's no roadmap for it. And so you're part of it. You're listening to government officials, whether that's state government or, or federal government. Uh, you're listening to your colleagues, what's going on in the other large hospitals around the state and around the country. Um, I made a lot of friends during that, quite honestly, with people uh, that, uh, I ended up talking to multiple times a week from all over the country that I had never uh, had never even met before or, or, or really even knew their names, if you will. Uh, but some of them were CEOs from very large systems in New York, because if you remember, New York was going through terrible, um, terrible. They got hit really hard. Right. And 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 so they were. So I befriended this one gentleman who was a CEO in, in New York uh, in, in, the, in the city. And he was telling me everything that they were going through. So we were trying to take their experiences and and say, hey, what if that happens here and how would we deal with that? Um, we had uh, our infectious control doctor, Dr. Gordillo, stepped up in a huge way and led this really, really this whole community owes him a, a debt of gratitude for everything he did. Dr. Fiorica, who is our chief medical officer, stepped up in a big way and a lot of other people. I hate to start calling out names because you're, you forget many, one. Yeah. Right. There's too many to call out. Um, right. But they really. All those people got up and led this organization, led this city through a pretty, pretty, uh, I say city, this community 
through a, through a very tough time. There's no, there was no roadmap for what, what COVID would do. There was no science um, as far as then people, we have not seen this disease before. Right. So a right. lot of people making a lot of assumptions and a lot of guesswork out there that acted like they knew what was going to happen, but they really had no idea. If you remember, there's a lot of them, oh, it's going to be like the flu and it's just going to die out over the summer. Well, that didn't happen. Okay. Um, no, it and, did not. And, and so we didn't, we just kept, we kept dealing with facts as we knew them at any given time and adjusting. But I got to tell you, COVID was, was, you know, the gift that just kept giving. I mean, it, it just kept throwing curveballs at you left and right. We, we, we get down. I remember one point, I don't remember the dates exactly, but I remember over the summer, um, after we had had to shut down, it looked like everything was coming around. It was going to be okay. And then all of a sudden, uh, the Delta variant comes in. And, right. and holy cow, I mean, we didn't expect that. I mean, we didn't know the, to expect that. And we thought we might be through this. And then all of a sudden, it's even worse, you know. And then and then Delta goes down. It's like, oh, you know, we didn't ever want to put the mission accomplished sign behind us. But, you know, the, 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 like on the aircraft carrier, but we kept trying to kept saying, OK, now what do we do? Do we how do we change the rules? How do we change what we're doing? And then another curveball would come. Omicron would come at you. And, and um, so I just I'm never going to say mission accomplished because I think that would just be um, setting ourselves up. But, um, you know, right now, pretty manageable. And, and and we've relaxed our masking. We've relaxed right, right. different things um, as we've done for two and a half years. We've gone back and forth on this. But anyway, I know that's a very long answer. No, <laughs> no. I mean, because I, I mean, obviously, as you know, just a resident myself who lives here and who's who's been Sarasota Memorial for, you know, whatever it was, call um cold or cough or whatever it was. And I actually was there for an operation, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, we want to know what does that look like? Because as you say, there was no roadmap uh, unless you were alive during the Spanish flu, because that was the last time where you just had this massive, massive pandemic that impacted, you know, really millions of people. But what I tell you, one of the things I'm curious about, what happens because my understanding is the CDC, for example, was, of course, front and center on everything. My understanding is they do not have any they're really an advisory organization. And so they they come out and they advise hospitals. How, what, what did that look like as far as your relationship with them and maybe some insights as some of the other CEOs, of these other hospitals? What, what, what did that look like in working with the CDC or taking their information and, and then going with it? Well, I, I would, the way that kind of works is you, you'd get CDC guidance, okay? But you'd also get guidance from other organizations and, and you'd see experiences. And you, and the, the people that would really deal with that, it's not me. It's not the accountant, right? It's, right. It, it's our medical staff, okay? So we would have, and, and Dr. Gordillo and Dr. Fiorica really would lead that medical staff at that point in time. And we probably had a group of two dozen physicians that would get together and look at the data, uh, make recommendations about what we should do, how should we do it, um, and filter it up through administration. Administration would compare that notes with other big organizations, whether it was out of New York or Tampa General, up in, you know, obviously in Tampa or Miami Jackson down in Miami. 
and we would kind of compare and see how would those recommendations look compared to to those. And I mean, generally speaking, we would implement. That's how we would implement policy and implement um, what was going on in the organization. I would say that that if you took the major hospitals in the in the state of Florida, so Shands out of Gainesville, or or Baycare out of Tampa, Tampa General, Orlando Regional, Advent, you name it. Our policies and procedures and what was going on here mirrored those very, very, very closely because their processes were the same. Doctors have to do their job, and a lot of times they, of course, will remove the emotional aspect of what they're dealing with because if they don't, they don't do their job well. You, of course, are ahead of the 6,000-employee hospital that's dealing with this major pandemic. How did it impact you? So, well, first off, Bob, we're about 9,000 employees. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm behind by a third. Okay. Well, it's, it's, it's a moving, it's a moving number. So um, right. that's just, just want to make sure you had that number right. Um, the, the impact was, was one, you have the patient. Okay. And, and, and what's going on with the patient. Then you also have the patient's family who's also going to be scared um, about what's going on. They read everything that's happening. They, you know, a lot of unknown, um, and, and a lot of misinformation too. A tremendous amount of misinformation, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, well, I'm sure it's very frustrating for you and the doctors. It's very frustrating. Yeah. Um, but we would, but remember that that this was a disease that nobody knew about, or knew, uh, uh, it, you didn't know about it in January 2020. Okay, so so the the you know the federal government the 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 um, you know, the state governments really is somewhat to somewhat extent and science is progressing, coming up with treatments and, and, and trying to understand how to treat this and everything else. So this is this is ever this is evolving science in a, in a real world going on. So the way you treat COVID, um, you know, a year after, you know, in 2021 is different than how you would have treated in 2020 because you've got more evidence and science based um results and it's like uh, any virus it morphs correct it, it morphs so so you're learning about it it's morph you know so it, it's a it's a race um so i think that people in today's society believe that that you know a, a disease comes out and there's a cure you know a week later right and 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 that you would know how to treat that but but truthfully you're you're always going through that you're always learning and we know more about it today than we knew two and a half years ago um uh, and I say we as as a society. I don't think people really understand. I, I said we, we're focused on our patient. We're focused on on the, um, the the patient's families. But the other piece, which was equally as important, is our own staff. You, you, we, we have nine thousand staff members. They weren't immune to this, so we're concerned very much for the safety of our staff uh, that were here and the safety of their families. Um, and we had. Literally, at any given time, hundreds of our staff out with COVID, not because they caught it in the hospital, which I, I really don't know of a documented case where uh, um, someone caught COVID in the hospital. They caught it from being at home with their friends or being right. home with their family or, or, or out at dinner or wherever. But that still meant that I, at any given time, had 10 percent of my employees out. Um, so we had a huge crisis in how to deal with uh, just being able to, to, to have staff to treat patients. And so many people 
and I, I guess I can be like that as well, are completely self-centered when it comes to their own health. And they don't realize the fact that the care providers are people too. And uh, to be a little bit more sensitive, you know, in, in that regard. So I, I just, again, I just think it's extraordinary time. It was an extraordinary difficult time, but you know, it's interesting clear back. I think it was episode one, Jeff Hapanu, uh was a guest that I had on my podcast. It was, it was episode one, but it was kind of a, a good story that came out of that. He and his wife went through a terrible time. They're up in the, I think New York and New Jersey area. And they had a loved one who, you know, passed away and they could not be there for the love because, you know, obviously uh, they were trying to separate people and whatnot. But out of that, he ended up coming to Sarasota and he works for a company by the name of LifeWorks. And so, you know, there's actually good things that come out of these really dark times. And so what's one of your favorite stories that kind of came out of this? You know, this is the best of times, this is the worst of times. So what's what's a favorite story that maybe you have from these the terrible COVID times? Well, I that's hard to come up with a good story that came out of uh, out of COVID. But I but I I like if if I had to step back and look at how our organization responds uh, to to crisis and and people here come together um, and in the within the walls the virtual walls of the Sarasota Memorial Healthcare System. Um, I find that the, the, the employees here rush to problems. They don't run away from them. And, and um, it, it's amazing how when, when you're presented with a crisis, whether it's a hurricane, whether it's um, a kind of a more day-to-day problem, or whether it's, it's a pandemic like COVID, people come together and try. And, and it's amazing the power of that when they come together and the solutions that they 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 come up with is 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 just awe inspiring. Okay, um, I I so I know that's not a specific answer, but but that was a that was amazing. You know when vaccines first came out, and that was I, I don't know if you remember that, but that was kind of a um, uh, not enough vaccine in the world for how many people want a vaccine. Right, so, right, and. We came together and and with the, the Department of Health, with Chuck Henry over Department of Health, and and put on a vaccine clinic, and had I mean hundreds of people here volunteer to come in and work that clinic, and we got, you know, I I don't remember the exact. I wish I'd knew the number. If I'd have known I was going to talk about that, I would have looked it up. <laughs> but, I, but thousands of people vaccinated uh, over a two day period. Wow. And, and, and and I I just had people coming in in tears th- of thanking us for 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 doing that, and it just it's just heartwarming, you know. Sure, it and is. What you can do for the community. We also st- stood one up out in North, uh, Newtown um, to help with that community that that was really um, had, there were some issues that was go- that were going on out there, and we needed to stand up out there. And I, I spent spent two days out there, you know, just helping people get through lines and stuff, and. It just makes you feel good about about what your community is, what your organization is, um, and uh, but that was those were some interesting and trying times. Um, um, yes, they are. Yes, they, yes, they were. And and I, as you said earlier, I sure hope that this is this is behind us. But you know, as I as I said at the beginning of the episode, I said, you know, I, I thought about not even having you on the show because right after COVID, you know, then you got the. Uh, Hurricane Ian that hits and that impacts you all as well. And I, I'm curious is you know, when you see something like this, that's, that's coming, is there a blueprint for that? Because you've been through hurricanes before. 
Yeah. So kind of take us through your thinking of as you knew, when you knew that Hurricane Ian was going to hit, what happened at that point to say, we have to be ready? Well, I, I and we did, and, and, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, how you want to look at it, we did go through this five years ago with uh, Hurricane um, uh, Irma. When it, Irma, when it yeah. Granted, not nowhere near to the number the amount of devastation that, that happened with um, uh, Ian, but it certainly let us test our systems. And and um, said it a minute ago, people people at Sarasota Memorial rush into problems, and 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 there's no there is no shortage of people volunteering and wanting to help here. We did learn some lessons, and and with Hurricane uh, Irma um, about. You know, just some structural th- different things. So we hardened some buildings that, that that probably needed a little bit more hardening. You know, we've built more buildings since over the last five years. They're all very, you know, safe, kept four or five um, uh, hurricane um, ready to go. But we looked at some of the command structure on how we did that five years ago versus this time. Uh, we made sure we had we had a we had a, a main command center, but then we had six other command centers spread out through the community uh, to make sure we had everything in place. And it wasn't like we had a lot of pro- things to solve from then, but we we definitely oh, we're always learning. We're always learning. Um, so when Hurricane Ian hit uh, this time, yeah, we start we have to start preparing when we see that that we're in a cone of uncertainty. So really before it ever even hit Cuba, we're already in high end. I'll bet. I'll bet you are. Yeah. Uh, so that means we're getting supply, making sure that all of our areas have the, the needed supplies. We're doing assessments on buildings to find out what buildings we need to, to close down and which ones can stay open. Uh, we're making sure we have the right personnel teams um, ready to be deployed to the different areas. Uh, we make things like making sure we have enough food. Uh, to, 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 to go for, you know, uh, 10 to 14 days, uh, fuel in our generators. All those kind of things are, are happening uh, during that. Uh, locking down construction sites because we have major construction going on. Um, and you're hoping you're just doing all that with, with a whole lot of, um, you know, it never hits. But, but in some kind, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes, it, unfortunately, it does. Um, if you remember that storm, we didn't know where it was going to go. They were predicting all the way up to, to the Panhandle, and then at one point it looked like it was going to hit in the neck, you know, the crook of uh, Florida, and it kind of moved down, and everything was going to be about Tampa, and it was going to go right up in the Tampa Bay. Um, it was all over the place, and I'm going to interject here. It's yep. funny because I actually live in the Osprey area, and so I'm about a quarter mile from the water, and um, so I'm thinking, okay. Let's head east across 75. At least we'll mitigate any type of storm surge we have because there's a there's a creek right. that runs right up my neighborhood. So we go out. We have some good friends out there, and we stayed with them. And they lost power right away. Well, my house never did lose power. <laughs> I've heard that story from others. I, yeah. I, 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 yeah, yeah, nobody did. Yeah. But I, I, I'll tell you what 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 happened. Obviously, it hit Fort Myers, and we really. It's awful what happened down in, 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 in Lee County and Charlotte County. Terrible, terrible. Um, uh, we're, we're extremely fortunate up here. I mean, I personally had some damage in my house, but I got to tell you, I, I, it's not even worth talking about. Uh, you see everything else. Um, but it was in, in we have operations as far south as Toledo Blade. So it's right on the uh, Sarasota, Charlotte County um, border. 
And that took a heavy hit. And I'll give you a real story from the storm. We're in the command Please. center. Um, you know, so we've, we all live, we all live in our offices during this. So, so I have an air mattress in my office and, and I, I think I lived in my office for three day, three nights or oh, more. Man. Um, but everybody does. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's what we do. It's what we do. And so I'm up in the command center when the storm is coming in and we're on the phone and talking with all of our, our various other, other command centers that are around the, the, the service area getting live reports. And one thing people may not know is what EMS stops running uh, when the winds hit 45 miles an hour for safety reasons. Um, so at, when when you hit 45 miles an hour, you're locked in um, at wherever you are. And um, that storm started turning south. And all of a sudden, I mean, it was, it was like you said a minute ago, it was all over the board. It started turning south, coming into to Charlotte and, and, and um, uh, Lee counties. And it became very obvious that Southern Sarasota County was going to get hit pretty hard. Um, and we had a team of about 65 people. Um, they're, they're, they're team members. They were some family members uh, and patients that were down in our Northport ER, which is the Toledo Blade. And we were up in the command center and said, look, this looks like it's going to get real dicey. The winds were, it's a Cat 3 rated hur uh, hurricane building. And we weren't sure what was going to go on there. And right. um, we had to make a quick decision. Do we evacuate that building or not? But but the decision became, if we evacuate that building, where do those people go? Um, and it's safer than that. Um, and we just didn't think we could safely do that. So, we, you know, we gave the, the order to, to stand down, to, to hunker down into, into that. Well, it got pretty dicey there. It lost uh, part of the roof. Uh, about 80% of that building became compromised. Oh, um, man. Um, the team held together. Uh, they, 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 I mean, I, I am, I am a hundred percent sure they were scared. Our leader down there, a uh, gentleman named Frank Morgan, um, really, really led an amazing group of people. They evacuated the second floor, moved everybody to the first floor. I mean, he kept, he kept his head about him and, and made sure that everyone, felt supported. Uh, we, in the middle of all this, we were having some people come in. I remember we had a patient come in that had, that had been impaled with glass. Um, you know, and this is an ER, not a surgery center. So they're trying to, 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 take, to take care of people as best they can in this compromised situation, uh, stabilize them for when the storm passes and you can get them uh, transferred. So a lot of hero stories um, that were out there. Um, that one being pretty dramatic. Um, wow. Wow. That's incredible. I, before we get off the topic of, of Hurricane Ian, I am curious though about critical infrastructure. I, I had a uh, a friend on a while ago. I think it was back in episode two, Michael Kenyon. And he was talking about critical infrastructure that they lay for fiber optics because you have systems that just have to stay up because you got patients that are relying upon that. So did we're, and, and I mean, you have backup generators and I, I'm sure all that sort of stuff. So were any of your systems compromised during Hurricane Ian, other, other than that one story you just shared? Well, certainly uh, we not not on not in the Sarasota campus and really right. even not in the Venice um, on our Venice Hospital campus. Uh, but but definitely down in Northport. And we, right. we do lose like fiber optics and that type of thing. Now we have and this is part of what we learned back in. Uh, Hurricane Irma five years ago, how, what systems were redu uh, what re 
we we think we have redundant systems in everywhere. We learned back then that some of that didn't didn't work as planned. So we had made those plans. You know, we'd shored that up. So we really didn't lose anything that that, that compromised patient care uh, or or our ability to you know to treat patients. Um, an example of that was um, five years ago. We learned that we lost we lost the ability to read um, X-rays or, or, or imaging. Uh, from radiology right. down at Northport because of severed communication lines and that type of thing. This time, we positioned assets down there, so we had a radiologist sitting in in that site just for that reason. Uh, wow. We had some extra personnel and other things sitting in that site just for that reason. So we didn't really have those kind of problems, if you will. We had structural problems, but not service problems. David, I appreciate you being on the show. I could talk to you for another hour about this, but... Um, <laughs> I, I guess my question is, is after, you know, two, two and a half years of COVID and then a cat for a hurricane, are you ready for a vacation? You know, I love my job. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm blessed and humbled to be able to come and do this. Um, you know, I get, I, I get enough time off. I'll take a weekends here and there. And, and, and my wife and I will, will escape um, for a week here or there. And, and, um, but um, you know what, we, I, I don't, I don't know what I'd do if I didn't, if I, if I didn't have a, <laughs> another uh, uh, challenge to deal with. I'd like what, to find what? out. <laughs> What's that? Uh, maybe, maybe it wouldn't be bad to find out what, it, what that would be like though. Yeah, sure. I think so. Well, listen, leave, leave our listeners with something. What would you like? What would you like? Um, I guess the listeners here to, to go away with from um, Sarasota Memorial healthcare systems. So eight years ago, we put out a pretty ambitious strategic plan to, to really, Focus on a lot of the needs, healthcare needs um, in the system. Things like uh, doing more, doing a cancer center. Okay, so we now have the Brian D. Jellison Cancer Center. To increasing behavioral health, so we have the Cornell Family um, Behavioral Health Pavilion that opens a year from now. Uh, research and education, a tremendous steps forward in both of those. Uh, the new hospital in Venice, we, you know, that's that's been open less than well, actually, uh, this month it'll be open one year. Uh, 110 beds, right? 110 beds wow. that, that have been full since day five. Um, so, and you didn't even mention the curveball about how Venice Regional, the Shorepoint Hospital on the island, shut down a month before COVID, and we were already dealing with that problem. Oh uh, And then all of a sudden, then we got all the patients from Lee County and Charlotte. That just means I got to bring you back for another episode. <laughs> hey, I'd love. To, I could talk forever. So more, more than you want to hear me talk. Yeah. Uh, but the, I guess the point to all that is, is we, you have to compartmentalize this, okay? So we never took our foot off the pedal as far as advancing that strategic plan and advancing the growth and advancing, uh, making sure we could handle the needs of this community while COVID happened, while hurricanes happened, while whatever other curveball is going to get thrown our way happens. We're here, we're still here for the community and the community takeaway should be that we're always going to keep progressing um, through all the, the, the challenges and, and, and sometimes noise. Well, that's a great way to wrap this thing up. And uh, to all my regular listeners, I appreciate you very much for tuning in. And, David, I certainly appreciate you taking the time to be on the Sarasota Stories podcast. And you make sure you get in there for that vacation real soon. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. You betcha. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for stopping by. I sure hope you enjoy listening to our interviews as much as we do providing them. 
If so, would you do me a little favor? Go to sarasotastories.co and enter in your email. That way you'll get notifications of all upcoming episodes. Also, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And remember, no matter where you go, to listen, learn, and connect. Connect.